Welcome to How CMOs Commit, the Siegel and Gale podcast that explores how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they're making as leaders. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they're forging, these conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. In this episode, Siegel and Gale's global CMO, Margaret Malloy, honors International Women's Day 2023 with a special edition of the Future of Branding Roundtable series. Recorded live in Dubai, Dublin, London, New York, and San Francisco, Margaret welcomes leading CMOs for in-depth conversations on brand building and inclusive storytelling. This is how CMOs commit. Good morning, everyone. Lots of energy in the room. So I'm Margaret Malloy, the Global Chief Marketing Officer at Siegel & Gale, and I'm delighted to welcome you to our 10th annual CMO Breakfast in celebration of International Women's Day. International Women's Day is a day celebrating the social, cultural, economic, and political achievements of women. It is also a day to examine progress and our ambitions. This year's theme is Embrace Equity. 2023 is an interesting year for this theme. In the backdrop of the topsy-turvy conversation around whether brands should take a stance on social issues, the capital markets are, shall we say, diverging on this issue. Meanwhile, employees are declaring their enthusiasm to work for companies that align with their values. Consumers and B2B buyers, for their part, are expressing their opinions on social media and some at the cash register. There can be no doubt in this challenging political, cultural, and macroeconomic environment the responsibility of all CMOs is placed in stark relief, the need to evaluate the efficacy of all branding programs in the context of many stakeholder goals. What, therefore, is the role of brands and CMOs in embracing gender equity? And how does it impact the business? Well, I have convened an illustrious panel to tackle just that topic. Please join me in welcoming our panel. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to invite you to introduce yourselves, tell us your hometown, and finish this sentence. Embracing gender equity is relevant to our brands because... Zina, get us started, please. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Zina Arnold. Uh, I am actually just in the process of leaving my current role, uh, but I was heading up carbonated soft drinks at PepsiCo. Uh, it's a brand Pepsi, Mountain Dew, um, lots, lots of fun uh, brands there. Uh, let's see. Um, I am from Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, which is where I, I grew up, and just recently moved to New York, so loving the experience of getting to know this city. 
Uh, so the um, opportunity of equality, right? Uh, I would say that it's it's a uh, growth opportunity for both business, like as in talking to more people and uh, having more business opportunity, and for people, um, you know, for equality to uh, grow people and society. Hello, good morning, everyone. I'm Lauren Boyman. I am Chief Marketing Officer for KPMG in the US. So for those who don't know, KPMG is not a radio station. We um, <laughs> sell um, consulting or professional services firm, similar to Siegel and Gale. Um, we sell audit, tax, and consulting or advisory services. Um, I am from New York. I live um, just on the Upper East Side and originally from about an hour outside of New York. Um, my answer to this question is it's, it's relevant, or equity is relevant for business because um, people are truly a firm's greatest asset and amazing things happen when people are working at their best. Thank you and good morning. My name is Penny Wise and I uh, work for 3M. I'm currently the president and managing director of 3M in Canada. And 3M in Canada is located in London, Ontario, which is about two hours outside of Toronto. Um, I am part-time working on a role where I'm stepping back into my brand and marketing background and working on the 3M parent co-brand, as we're calling it as we spin off our healthcare business, and working on what the evolution of the 3M brand looks like. Equity is important to 3M because 3M is an innovation company. And we believe that innovation only happens when you bring together diverse opinions and diverse points of view. And equity leads to those. And that's what leads to great inventions and great products. Awesome. OK. Um, I'm Inshala Anderson. And I just want to kick off and say I'm a Siegel and Gale alum. So it's a wonderful feeling to be back here. Um, <laughs> Um, in terms of where I'm from, I'm actually a kid from Queens, New York. So that is um, my hometown. And um, I live in Jersey City, and so I've been gawking at the skyline here because I can sort of see where I go for my bike ride on Saturdays. I lead brand and creative, so I run like an internal agency at Google Cloud. And I like to think of it as the biggest startup that's not a startup, but it is. Um, and it's been an exciting opportunity to be there. Uh, and I also serve on the board of Planet Fitness. So um, just another hat that I wear. In terms of embracing equity, I think it sort of serves two different purposes. Firstly, it's the right thing to do. When you take a step back and you think about creating space for people at the table, having those diverse perspectives matter. I think as was just pointed out, it's the collection of those thoughts those ideas that enable really great things to come together. So for me, I always sort of lean back into a mindset I have as a, someone who's one of six kids. Um, um, you can do a lot as a team, and typically you can do more as a team that you can do individually. So when you create the space, when you pull up a seat, when you open a window and allow someone who's not part of that group to be part of it, it's amazing what the outcome can look like. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Lynn Teo. Uh, I'm Chief Marketing Officer of Northwestern Mutual, a 166-year-old uh, insurance and financial services company. Um, I was a kid growing up 
in Singapore, a long way away from here. Uh, I have been in the New York area since uh, 1999 and have no plans to move um, for all the reasons that you all understand. Um, I um, have a corporate HQ in Milwaukee. Um, and, you know, equity is important to me because as I took on this role in financial services, it really was a larger purpose and mission. Um, it's being able to influence equity by way of financial lives that people have. Um, I think NM Northwestern Mutual is an extremely purpose-driven company. And as I reflect on the employees as well as our network of 8,000 financial advisors, we are all unified in our mission to bring financial security and equity uh, to our clients. So more about that in a minute. Hello, my name's Alicia Parker. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Tishman Spire, which is a global portfolio of real estate and venture investments. I grew up in Kearney, Nebraska. And I think one thing um, that, that, that drew me to New York was that when I was five, my ballet teacher became a rockette at Radio City. So it is a real full life moment to work for an organization where you can stand on top of Radio City at Radio Park and really feel that. Um, equity is really important to Tishman Spire and to me um, because we build community and diverse communities thrive. And it's really the people in the places and the spaces that make those what they are. Lovely. Um, I fear I'm gonna echo a lot of what's been said here. Uh, my name is Clayton Rubensall, and I am the head of marketing for the B2B side of American Express, which is everything from selling credit cards to mom and pops to Fortune 500 companies. and. Equity is important, and this is the echoing part, because it leads to better decisions. Um, you know, at the end of the day, study after study shows that a group of the same like-minded people uh, might have a good time at the table, but diverse minds always lead to better business outcomes. And one of the things that was really surprising in a pleasant way to me when I joined American Express eight years ago was you know, you go through the interview process and you meet, you know, at most 10 people. But you get to work and you see what the company really looks like. And walking the floors of American Express, it's shocking how female-driven it is and how LGBTQ-friendly it is. Um, and, you know, for a guy who'd never worked in financial services, I was expecting a very kind of like... I don't know, Wolf of Wall Street environment, or I, I don't know. I just, most of what I knew was I knew from the movies. Um, and what I got to was um, everything that you would guess a great marketing organizations, amazing campaigns, amazing activations. And it's because of this group of people that is on our floor in our rooms. And one is right there, Jess Ling, who's about the best person that I've ever had on my team. And, um, you know, it's a great example of great people lead to great outcomes. Gosh, following all of that. <laughs> um, so, hi, good morning. Um, my name's Catherine Newman. I'm the EVP of marketing for WWE. Uh, which is um, wrestling, um, <laughs> for those of you that don't know that. Um, and uh, I originally come from London, um, or a little town just outside of London, but now reside in Westport, Connecticut. Um, so as we're based in Stamford, and have brought a husband, two children, and a dog. Um, so um, 
In terms of what equity um, means to me and, um, and also WWE, um, a key part of it is actually about removing barriers, um, about there being nothing that inhibits your growth. Um, and actually, when I interviewed um, at WWE, they said, why do you want to leave Manchester United? You know, you're having a good time there. It's a great role, um, you know. Uh, not everyone likes us, like, why, why would you come over here? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, um, because I'm kind of running out of runway. And they said, you'll never run out of runway here. Um, and, you know, we w look forward to seeing you trying to outpace it. So, um, so that was fun. So, so for us, yeah, no barriers, lots of opportunities. So I'm going to invite all of you, starting here with Zena, to share one example, briefly, of a brand campaign or program that you have led at your organization that's targeting uh, gender equity and share with us the lessons, a little bit of background, as well as the impact on the business. Sure. Uh, I'm going to share one I didn't uh, lead, but that was in my organization because I think it's a fantastic example of highlighting equity and driving the brand in business. Um, you have probably heard of Pure Leaf Tea, and last um, fall uh, we launched this amazing campaign about um, the power of no and the beauty in saying no um, to to women. And I, I loved it for a number of reasons. Um, you know, thinking about what we were trying to drive from a product standpoint. It was telling people that the teas were free of a lot of the things that other um, mass-produced teas have, whether it was, you know, artificial sweeteners or tea flavor power uh, powders. Uh, you know, it's just a really great, pure product. And uh, the, the campaign and this idea about the power of saying no, I thought was extremely, extremely powerful because it, it allows women to um, be able to say no. There was some great research that uh, the team did on uh, the guilt that women feel in saying no versus men in saying no. And, and you know, really allowing women to very, uh, you know, without reservation saying, no, this is not something that I want to do. It's not helping um, me or achieving what I, I want to do and uh, giving kind of that power, if you will, to women to say no. So thought it was this interesting juxtaposition because often equality is about, okay, you have to have the opportunity and you need to go after it and, and you know, be that, that uh, seat at the table, which is important. But I think also equally important, it is giving ourselves the freedom and power to say no to the things that aren't going to help us or aren't what we want to, to focus on. So uh, great campaign and, and it was very successful in driving the business. You know, ultimately, uh, a lot of women really gravitated towards this. We had some partnerships. Uh, with Reese Witherspoon's production company. There was a great um, uh, documentary that was made with uh, a woman who runs kind of this organization, Fair Play, that talks about equality in uh, relationships and, and all of the invisible work that women often do. So I thought, again, great um, campaign to uh, bring to life the product benefits, which is uh, you know what the importance of, of marketing is about, but then framing it in this bigger conversation and, and opening up a different way of thinking of equality. Oh, that's a wonderful story. Um, so my uh, story or uh, uh, campaign uh, is around um, golf. So <laughs> golf is not something you necessarily associate women with. It tends to be an old white man's sport. KPMG has, you may associate KPMG with the Phil Mickelson hat. So we've had a long relationship in sponsoring uh, golf. And 
one of KPMG's um, core values is, is around equity. And so um, it's more than five years ago, it's probably between eight and 10 years ago, we uh, began a relationship with the ladies, PGA, so the LPGA, and have um, a now really, really close relationship with, with them, um, sponsoring young women and um, enabling them to learn the game of golf, but also sponsoring and uh, supporting them in education and exposing them to senior women and understanding what it means to be a working woman. Um, one thing that I think is really um, an amazing connection and tie into our business, which you, you know, always would like to, to do with diversity and equity inclusion, is we recently launched something called um, KPMG Performance Insights. And that is where, um, so men for a very long time had stats and analytics about their game shots, and women did not have access to that same you know, statistics and numbers and, uh, you know, close video and analysis of their game. And KPMG Performance Insights made that possible. And so that really had a strong impact on um, women's equality in the sport of golf. We also matched the women and men's uh, prize uh, pocket pocketbook for the, the sport. So we really have had um, a very strong interest and um, demonstrated impact in, in bring, bringing golf uh, to a more equitable place. Lauren, any perspective on how it's advanced the KPMG business and the brand? I mean, there's lots of statistics that we can point to in engagement, um, but I think it has, um, not just for our employees, um, really made a statement about how we care about equity, but what we're willing to, to, to do, put our money where our mouth is, that we uh, are willing to uh, you know, really invest in inequity, and it really all comes down to the, the the budget and the pocketbook and the purse. And if you um, can, you know, make that known, and uh, that really just it really hits the point home. Great. Okay, Penny. At 3M. Thanks. So 3M, if you don't know, is a company we make over, I don't know, 90,000 different products. We have four business groups. We play in pretty much any markets that you can imagine. But what's common to all of everything that we do is that the heart of it is science. And so STEM and STEM equity is incredibly important to us. And the program that I wanted to share with you is what we call, um, I call STEM Talks, and it's specific to Canada. So each year, 3M runs a global survey, the State of Science Index, where we ask people around the world what are their thoughts on science. And in 2021, we realized that 68% of Canadians uh, believed that underrepresented communities don't get the same access to STEM education and STEM jobs. And so we set about finding out why. Why don't those underrepresented groups get the same uh, access? Why don't women get the same access? And so we convened a series of panels across the country in 2021 and 2022, where we talked to advocates and experts about the barriers. There are barriers about accessibility, whether it's cost or whether it's making labs or other science places accessible for people with disabilities. We talked about um, the role modeling. It's not just about role models. You need champions. Women need champions. We need people who lift us up, who give us opportunities and introduce us to the right people. And then finally, businesses, government, and academia need to do the talk and walk the talk and not just talk about the things that they're going to do. So out of that came a series of panels where we have been engaging with business leaders, 
CEOs across Canada about what are we doing as a business community? How are we lifting this up? And so our advocacy is giving us the opportunity to engage with different groups across the country for us to use our money in really focused ways so that we can get the most bang for our buck. We can lift up women, we can help girls get into STEM and engage them. And what we're seeing is it's really helping lift up our brand in Canada, when you look at reputation of 3M in multiple countries around the world, we actually enjoy some of the best reputation scores in Canada because we are focusing on things that Canadians care about uh, beyond the products, but really making an impact in our society. So Inshallah, at Google. So I'm gonna share two things. The first one is related to um, how we invite inclusion and think very broadly from a product marketing perspective. And this is not even me, but it was someone on my team. And we had had a lot of conversations. We were working with an intimate apparel brand. This is when I was still on the agency side. And she came to me and she said, you might get a call from the client. And I said, okay, well, what's it gonna be about? And there was a conversation, this is an intimate apparel brand, and there was a conversation about the palette, the color palette for um, the apparel, and they kept using the term nude, and it was pretty much pink. And her point was, that's a subjective color, but you've imposed a specific hue, and in doing so and using that language, you've actually omitted a big part of your target market. And so she and I had had conversations about that, but I wasn't on the project, I was her manager, and I said, you know, you should really raise that. You should feel comfortable in putting that forward. And I bring it up expressly because so often we don't think about how do we create, design, manufacture, build with accessibility and inclusion in mind. Um, I did get a call from the client she said expressly that was the reason we chose you, because you were comfortable being uncomfortable and sort of having those hard conversations. Um, and I as a manager and as a leader felt really good that she felt empowered in that room as a junior person at the table, as a junior woman, to offer a perspective on what nude could mean and should mean. So I, I put that forward because I think so often we don't think about how we can actually influence in very small ways to really impact what we're putting out in the market. From a Google perspective, one of the things I've particularly enjoyed has been this commitment to inclusive marketing. And what does that mean? I think people so often go, oh, we looked at a lookbook, this was our thing, no. What we have done is actually worked in a very um, detailed manner, because it's Google, so there's data, to actually audit and take a look at the marketing pieces, the creative pieces that we put out into the world. And so standing up a practice where there is evaluation, are we overly skewing towards certain complexions? Are we disproportionately presenting women who are only young, as if women can't age? Are we mindful in the way that we present our different audiences? Because I think one of the things that's really critical when we consider equity is we want our customer to see themselves in the product, in our communications, in the ways that we engage with them. And so we have to be very cognizant. Are there blind spots that we're not factoring in terms of how we present our brand? So this has been a muscle that um, uh, uh, Lorraine Tuhill, our, our, the CMO of Alphabet, calls it forever work because there's forever work to be done here. There's forever learning to be done. But I think standing up a practice where we think about the entire creative process 
and where and how we start to bring inclusive marketing as an agenda item at each point along the way really starts to be the manifestation of change. So Lynn at Northwestern Mutual. Yes, so if you all close your eyes and think about someone who works as a financial advisor or someone in the financial services industry, you would probably land with an image that has a strong gender skew. Um, and I think that for me is the construct uh, that NM has been, Northwestern Mutual has been extremely deliberate about kind of facing that reality. I'll start with some of the stats. Um, if you look at anyone who's a manager and up, uh, Northwestern Mutual has done a phenomenal job in the last two years, increasing that percentage close to 50, we're at about 48%. As a mark of progress, the last round of results that just came through, more than 50% of our new employees are either women or people of color. And I'm very proud to share that stat because those stats don't happen by accident. And so as I talk about some of the programs that are happening across the enterprise, I think it'll start to paint a picture of how diversity, um, inclusion, equity, women, they all have to manifest itself across all functions of the organization. I'll share two examples. The first one is the women's field, sorry, the women's financial advisor field committee. That's a, an extremely deliberate um, mission to set up uh, associations and committees that are reflective of the community. We have eight employee resource groups, uh, one for every diverse community you can think of, LGBTQ, uh, African-Americans, Asians, women, and that scale of diversity is, is a really an indication of the enterprise's commitment. Um, and the reason we do that is because your frontline reflects the community. So if you're gonna make sustainable change in your community to push financial equity, you have to take a step back and think about what your reach is going to be. So Northwestern Mutual has been extremely, uh, has been extremely deliberate about how we recruit and bring financial advisors into the fold because we want them to be the ones who reach out to the communities. I think that's a, a phenomenal commitment. Um, the second one is I look to the employees, I look internally, uh, I'm glad that Penny raised the topic about uh, alliances. Um, Northwestern Mutual has a huge alliance community that is made up of about half men. And I think that's what's exciting because these groups, we have study groups, we have one-on-one -on -one coaching, mentoring, and I think it's these levels of commitment that actually help us make sustainable change. So I'm almost six months into my new role, extremely proud to be a part of the company, and I feel like I have great foundation on which to build campaigns. So Alicia, real estate. Yes, real estate. Um, so I think what I gave a lot of thought about when joining Tishman's Buyer about a year ago was that to really think about what we're talking about here today, it really takes intention. And so I wanted to see where that intention was sitting. And what I found is that 
I as a marketer could come in and only want to market what is actually happening within the organization that I'm a part of and then inviting others to be a part of that in the spaces that we have. And that's exactly what I found. And so we recently launched a campaign called Where Matters because I think right now where we spend our time, whether it's at home, where we have residential, or how many days we choose to go into the office, that matters to us. But more than that where is that who. And so Tishman Spire in 2017, before the pandemic, launched something called the Zoe platform. And the Zoe platform was focused on the people in the spaces. And from an inclusion standpoint, what has grown out of that is clubhouses where people can convene, where we can have programming. And what we've seen come out of that is Women of Rock Center, where we can bring together people who work at Christie's and NBC and Lazard and can spend time and learn from each other and build community. And when I was in Europe last week, I see the same thing formulating in London and Paris. And when I look at the new building, the spiral at the top of the High Line, that amenity space was intentionally put on the 66th floor. And it's the first time Pfizer as an organization chose to go into a space that wasn't just theirs alone because they also saw the value of community. And I think when I look internally at what we're doing on our venture investing side, we've invested in 23 companies and 70% are women-owned and or minority-owned businesses. And when you look at where venture capital is today and those percentages, I think that's really telling. We also looked at the supplier side of where we can make a difference and made a commitment to triple our investment to women and minority-run businesses on the supplier side. And so I think we can market and we can say whatever we, you know, we feel is there, but I think it really comes back to intention and authenticity and, and kind of showing up first. And finally, I think as we've built out our own affinity groups, we've really rolled those out to have other people participate through the Zoe platform um, across the globe. So Clayton, an example from American Express. Happy to share. Um, so. This is one of my favorite uh, pieces of work that we've done as a team. Uh, when George Floyd was murdered, um, you saw brands from all over the country and, and all over the world. You know, Even in the Premier League, it was interesting to see uh, just an outpouring of support from society. Um, for me and my team, one of the reservations of jumping into it was being Me Too. Um, not having a perspective that would add to the conversation, um, that would do something beyond just saying that, you know, we also think this is horrible. And as we looked at the landscape and what we do as a business and, and thought about you know, our purpose, which is helping businesses do more business, um, something that we have carried through from the creation of Small Business Saturday to Shop Small to more recently Business Class, which democratizes business education, um, we found this really powerful piece of information, which was that more than any other group in America, black women start more businesses than anybody else. At the time, they were creating 736 businesses a day in this country and getting no venture capital money virtually, getting no support. Um, 
And that's extraordinary. And that led to this, uh, I, would, I would call it more than a campaign, but more of an effort not to be charitable, not to raise awareness, but to invest in them as winners. We said to them, look, every hard time, every recession uh, creates great new companies, um, from IBM to Procter & Gamble, um, Uber, Facebook, all created in recessions. And we believe that this one will too. This is going back a couple of years. And we think that the star of that show will be black women entrepreneurs, and we want to invest in them. So we created a program called 100 for 100, which uh, went out and solicited invitations to be part of the program. Uh, we selected, uh, even within the group of 100 black uh, women-owned businesses, a very degree diverse group of businesses in various fields from all over the country. And we didn't just give them money, though we did give them money. We also gave them networking and we gave them business education and support beyond that um, to help them become not just successful because they're already doing that, to be great customers of ours. And that's the business success that has led to for us is we've gained in that time far more just core business credit card customers who are of color, who are women of color, to our you know plain old business platinum card base and our plain old business gold base. And the good news about that is, as the company sees that happening and sees these great customers, we will continue to invest in programs like that. So it truly becomes sustainable. So I'm proud that we didn't just get into the game with you know American Express supports black-owned businesses like a lot of our competitors did. Um, you know nothing wrong with it. It's great but I'm glad that we found something a little bit more unique by digging into what was actually going on in society and found this group of incredible winners that we could invest in. It was super exciting and just super proud to have been part of it. Thank you. And finally, Catherine, WWE. Yeah, so um, I think it's fair to say we've been a bit of a journey with equity. Um, and um, if I take <laughs> women um, in particular, we have um, uh, perhaps been uh, put in... Um, you know, particular characters um, and things like that in the past. Um, and actually in 2015, in the Divas division, there was a women's match, um, which actually was cut short because the show was overrunning and it was cut short to 30 seconds. Um, now you can imagine paying to go and see, um, you know, a final of women's tennis and after three games going, sorry, sorry, we're finished, we're done. Um, you can imagine the, the uproar, which is exactly what there was. And so there was a, um, a global movement called Give Divas a Chance. Um, and after three days, um, WWE um, responded back and said, we heard you, um, keep watching. And in 2016, the um, women's division was born um, and it made certain um, promises. Um, one, the title belts were changed, so they were comparable. Um, uh, secondly, it was called women's division. It was no longer divas. Um, and also, um, everybody was called superstars, so it wasn't whether you were male or female. It was about, actually, are you a, a player? Are you a wrestler? Um, and are you a superstar? Um, because, you know, whatever your view of wrestling, these people are trained athletes. Um, a lot of them are ex-Olympians. Um, so they come in and it's taken them years and years and years to get where they are, um, whether they be male or female. 
Um, and so, so that was really exciting. Um, and we now actually have, um, if you look at the top 15 athletes in the world, seven of them are actually um, women from WWE, which we're hugely proud of. Um, but also the, the story continues. So we um, then started working um, in Saudi Arabia. And, um, you know, again, um, culturally very different to the US. Um, and, uh, and so we had some work to do there. And so it um, took us quite a few years. Um, but actually in 2019, um, women were allowed to perform in a match, which was the first time ever in Saudi Arabia. And then in 2021, um, women were actually displayed on the billboards. And um, uh, I um, unfortunately wasn't um, at the event. But when you looked at the um, event and you looked at the footage, there were women in full Habibs watching um, the, the match with signs saying, this is hope. Um, which was amazing. So, um, so you know, what's happened since then? Well, um, a lot of our e-commerce sales come from our female um, products um, and services, um, and we happen to think they're pretty amazing. So, um, we're not done yet. We know that, um, and there's lots more to do. But, um, but you know, certainly the mantra at WWE, whether you're, you know, our fans or, or one of our superstars, but if you keep working hard, if you keep putting the effort in, and if you're good enough, then you'll succeed. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for sharing those extraordinary examples and where you are on the journey. Now, it strikes me and all of us at Siegel and Gale that we live in a very complex time. Achieving business results is complex. Brand building is complex. And of course, achieving gender equity is complex. Many of you who know us at Siegel and Gale recognize that core to our ethos is the value of simplicity. However, I have learned doing this job now for almost a decade that for some people, simplicity can be a rather abstract concept. Now, in the presence of this wonderful panel, I thought we would take the opportunity to invite each panelist to bring one physical object to the event and tell us why that object represents simplicity to them. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the show and tell portion <laughs> of the morning. I'm going to invite Lynn to get us started. That's right. Well, I think all of you will know, for those of us who travel a ton, you need one of these at the airport, on the plane. But aren't you just frustrated that you need to bring three sets of everything? We haven't figured out the one for my Apple Watch yet. But what I love about this is just the simplicity of it being a multi-purpose tool. Um, and as I think about how that reflects on my teams, I always tell them, when you launch a campaign, you know, try to make it a twofer or a threefer if possible. And so I think that embodies, you know, my inherent need to optimize everything I do. And Lynn, what is the name of that contraption? <laughs> I don't know what you name it. It's a USB that has multiple adapters. Alicia, what did you bring, please? I brought a hair tie. <laughs> It was of the perfect size to put into my pocket on the way here. But um, I thought it really symbolized something that is circular. 
Um, it's something that as we think about, you know, just being holistic and thinking about everybody that we need to get input from into something. And I think in general, over the years, people have tried to make this a lot better. The scrunchie, it doesn't hold your hair as tight. And so you can try to make something better and better. And sometimes you just need to go back to the core and just let it be exactly what it is. Clayton. Yes, I brought my passport. Um, this is uh, responsible for the best memories of my life. Um, you know, family trips, work trips, um, vacations with my now wife when we were just dating, um, important job interviews in London, um, my grandmother's 70th birthday. Without this, I just can't imagine what life would be like. And also, um, in recognition of like why we're here, um, I just rep I, I also recognize the privilege that comes with this. You know, this is uh, by the experts who judge this thing the seventh most valuable passport in the world, and that you can go to eighty percent of the countries in the world without a visa, and that's a luxury. You know, it's just my team in India, and they were talking about how there's a year long wait for them to come see their family in the U.S. You know, you think about. Uh, people who are refugees or immigrants around this world looking for a safe place to live and work and raise their family. Um, you know, we and me are exceptionally privileged to have that. Catherine, surprise us. So, this is really heavy, by the way. I, I was going to bring five, and they were like, you don't know how heavy they are, do you? I was like, you have to be a wrestler to carry one of these. Um, so, what are you looking at, apart from an amazing piece of jewellery? Um, so, this is the Women's Championship belt. Um, so, you have to be bloody good to win one of these. <laughs> um, but in terms of what this simplifies, uh, or symbolises, rather, um, it's really simple for us. Um, our company mission is to inspire the impossible which means that whether you're um, the single parent that comes to a show um, because it's a treat at the end of the week because you made it through the week, or whether you're the child, um, and we know they do this in, um, for example, in, uh, in a children's ward where they're all receiving chemo, they'll put their hospital beds together and they'll tag in and tag out and touch the belt as they go in just to make sure that they can do it. Um, or whether it be our superstars who work incredibly hard, um, who go through a lot of training, they're on the road, you know, 365, um, and also to the team in the office who put the show together and do an amazing amount of work. It is genuinely a team effort. And when you run a live events business and then a global pandemic happens, you realize how the training doesn't matter, the experience doesn't matter, it's the can-do attitude and it's the ability to be inspired enough to always achieve the impossible. So we love these because they symbolise so much um, and so wanted to share it with you guys here today. Well, thank you. And Charla, what did you bring, please? Um, so I, 2020 was a lot of change for me. I joined Google, um, I joined the board of Planet Fitness, I became trapped in my house with my kids and my husband, and um, I uh, live in the New York area because my family is here. And being removed from them was really, really hard. I had three siblings who um, were essential workers, and 
I just couldn't see them, you know, like if they were at the hospital, there was just no chance, not even sitting outside before there was um, a vaccine. And so I started to really get into olfactive um, uh, like stimuli. And for me, it was like small things. Like at one juncture, I had like frankincense because it reminded me of going to church, the Episcopal church as a child. So today I have eucalyptus. Um, I tend to always have um, a diffuser at my desk. And I'm a big believer that you can sort of tap into an essential oil and it can just shift your energy. So if you need that extra push, eucalyptus, tea tree, mandarin, lovely scents to start your day as you're sort of winding down sandalwood, lavender, also super amazing. But like, I think we forget that we always want to layer and add more, but you actually can have something singular and simple that can really um, bolster your spirits and like give you, you know, the energy that you're seeking. So for me, just, I just brought one, but um, um, I'm a big, big fan of, um, you know, just having a fragrance to really shift your energy. Vanilla is always really nice. It takes you back <laughs> to your mom's kitchen. But it's just, you know, I, I think like when I felt so removed from my people um, and, and being sort of, you know, in such a contained space, I felt like the same way that books can transport you, a fragrance can. Thank you. Penny, what have you got? Well, I think it is so simple. It is just a plain teal book with white pages, lines in it, but the potential mm -hmm. that I am holding in my hand. The think about, I, I think about Anne Frank's diary written in a notebook and how it has transformed society. I think about looking back on all the notes that I've written or the lists or the creativity or the, the important things I've jotted down or, or the ideas like the what's the potential inside this book is incredibly simple and exciting. My sister and I joke that we won't retire until we've used all the blank notebooks we have. <laughs> We're not gonna retire for a very long time. So to me, this is the ultimate in simplicity, but so much potential and so much sophistication inside it. And thank you for giving it back to me because it's my new notebook now. <laughs> Lauren, what have you okay. got? Okay, I'm sitting on my object. So my object is... And I'm super happy about this one too. Oh. And I did not plan that I was sitting next to a business leader from 3M who just before the panel showed me her picture with the um, inventor of post-it notes. So, wow, like that, that would be quite a day for me. Um, post-it notes are just very meaningful object um, that I really cannot start my day without. So um, I was joking with her yesterday, I got to my desk and I left this at home or it wasn't in my you know area, and I, I go, oh my god, how am I going to get through the day without the post-it notes? <laughs> um, so post-it notes for me represent the ability to um, acknowledge something that you have to come back to, or want to remember, or have to do, and I jot it down, and I can tell how busy and stressful a day is, at the end of the day, I can see the sea of post-it notes that I have around my, my computer. But the act of then going through each post-it note and taking care of each item and throwing it away is an incredibly rewarding mm. one. I have tried the um, post-it note feature on your computer, and it is just not the same thing. <laughs> so there is something just really um, 
rewarding and simple about the act of writing something down that is uh, just incredibly helpful from a productivity uh, point of view and an emotional well-being point of view. And finally, Zina. Yes, all right. Uh, I brought in a very simple, as you can see, uh, rock here. And it's simple on a couple of different levels. Um, I uh, got it, let's see, a couple weeks ago from my son. And uh, he, he came up to me after school and he said, Mommy, Mommy, I have something for you. And I said, oh, great. OK, what is it? He said, OK, open your hand and here you go. I said, oh, wow, thank you. You know, what is this? And he said, it's a rock, but it's because I love you. And, and just hearing that that from him, the simplicity of that love, that unconditional love that he has. And, and it kind of it, it put um, meaning into something that's really not really meaningful at all. It's just a rock that could be from anywhere. But uh, I love the simplicity of the object itself and then the simplicity of the meaning that was um, imbued into it because of how he gave it to me and what he told me when he did. Well, thank you all for indulging that exercise and showing us how the simplicity is a marvelous mechanism to access humanity. So thank you all. So final question. And this one gets back to the theme of the day around gender equity. I want to ask you ever so briefly, I'll start with Catherine and we'll come all the way up. And the question is as follows. What is your organization's commitment to gender equity? And how will you measure progress? And I want to emphasize the importance of commitments. If we think about it ourselves at an individual level, our teams, our organizations, I would submit to you that we are largely the product of our commitments. Miss Catherine. Okay, so um, there's two answers to this if I may, but I'll keep it brief. Um, so um, one, we are um, changing the way that we look at our fans. So we don't target based on demographics. We don't see them as male or female, young or old. Um, we've just completed the biggest piece of research we've ever done, and it's based on psychographics. It's based on the why. Um, so why does somebody come to WWE? Why do they spend X amount of money? Why do they spend so much time with us? Why is it an intergenerational brand? And why is it a brand allowed in the home? Um, and so we are committed to our fans' purpose um, and making sure that we earn that because it's a privilege every day. So it's not about whether they're male or female or whether they're young or old. It's about why they're here and can we connect more on that. Um, so in terms of how we're measuring it, we've built a living segmentation. We are profiling our fans um, and we're talking to them a lot. So, um, so that is a commitment that we have made and are essentially redoing everything in this lens, which is amazing and, and a real difference for us. Um, and the second thing is, is that we have um, PDRs like most companies and we talk about company objectives. But when we did um, a survey recently for staff, they said, um, you talked to me about my company goals and you talked to me about career development, but what about life development? What about the things I go through in life? So, you know, when I start out first, it's how am I trying to buy my first home? Then it may be, you know, I've met a partner and we want to start a family. Um, or it may be my parents are ill and I need to do childcare
care in a different way because, you know, my parents are infirm. Um, can we please talk about that when we talk about my PDR and my corporate objectives? If you could see me as one person as opposed to a work life and a personal life, then that would be a game changer for me. So that's exactly what we're doing. So our PDRs for the first time this year are constructed in that way. Um, and um, we're committed to doing this survey every six months so that the staff can keep us honest. Um, and, um, and we'll see where we go from there. So, as I say, it's not, it's not you know, revolution, it's evolution, but, um, but you know, we're, we're firmly on the path. So one thing that changed for me personally as a leader over the past three, four years is that I used to really separate me from the company. And so I want to share something personal. Um, so this is not an American Express thing, but I think it counts as a view of what a leader at American Express is thinking about and going through. So my family has a really cool tradition. Every uh, New Year's Eve, we do uh, one private and one public resolution. Um, I'm proud to say that I'm the only person in the family with a perfect record. I always, always <laughs> deliver. And um, my wife finds it incredibly annoying. Um, you know, my uh, last one was uh, quitting sugar for a year, which she found particularly irritating. Um, but this year, mine was that I was going to start a charity to help women refugees start businesses in the U.S. I have no idea how to do it. I have never started a charity. I've never worked in a charity. Um, but I'm positive I will because I need my record to be unblemished. Um, and it really is important to me. Um, about two years ago, I started working for the Tory Burch Foundation as a mentor to women entrepreneurs. And it has been one of the best professional experiences I've had, like just a blast and rewarding. I've met amazing people. Um, and so it's combining that. And my father, uh, he passed away about 20 years ago. But uh, when I was growing up, he worked in refugee camps, helping refugees move to the United States as part of the Foreign Service and the US State Department. And so it's combining those two things. And you know, I figure I'll learn how to do it. I'll start small. And if anybody has any ideas, please email me or uh, tell me how to email you. Thank you. Alicia. So I think one thing I've been giving a lot of thought about is, you know, how, how can you cascade something um, across an organization to really drive impact? And I was reminded, um, really thinking about what my parents did in Nebraska. My parents ran a group home for adolescent girls who were abused and neglected. And I grew up living with over 300 teenage girls from the time I was born until I graduated from high school. And you know, watching what they did was absolutely incredible, but became more incredible once I left Nebraska and, and, and went in um, to business. Because knowing everything they had to do to really make social work work for them, I decided at a very early age that I wanted to go into business and figure out how to drive an impact from a different point of view, because I saw how difficult it was. Um, but what I also saw is the incredible platform that each of us have, um, being in a business and being able to take that purpose and really be comfortable um, with, with what we can do. And so one thing um, that I've seen evolve at Tishman Spire is that we have an ESG committee, and a lot of companies have that. Um, but I think instead of it just sitting at a corporate level in New York, I think it's really 
cascading that into each location where you can have an impact and getting more and more input across the organization from those diverse teams to see how you can do things at a local level. So despite the fact that we all have global companies that we're a part of, how is it that we can really bring people along at a local basis? Because my parents only impacted 300 teenage girls from a state that most people have never been to and only fly over. But when I think about that cascade of what they created for those 300 lives mm -hmm. that they impacted, and I combine that with the corporate um, opportunity that we all have, you really see how those smaller impacts cascaded can make a big one. Lynn, please. Um, I think one of the key pathways to equity is to equip all the groups with a base level uh, of capabilities and skills that will then allow them to get to those high levels of achievement. So as I think about what Northwestern Mutual is doing, you know, we have a black accelerator fund. We look at what are some of the competencies that we need to double down to build in women financial advisors, you know, just to give them extra training. And so when I think about the national training programs, I think it's a very structured way of level the playing field. So I think that's one uh, that I'm seeing that's being done uh, on a programmatic level at Northwestern Mutual. I also think about budgets and how budgets are being deployed. So we have a women's initiative budget. We also have a sustained action for racial equity budget. And those dollars are baked into our campaign. So as we think about targets, right, that marketing is helping to influence or drive, within that mission and that goal, I have to think about how I would segment the work that I do. So I'm still getting to that ultimate goal of delivering a, a, to a number or an OKR, but I'm thinking very deliberately about multicultural marketing equity in my programs, going back to a twofer, right? I'm always trying to think in a systematic way how I bring more impact with the resources I have. Inchala. I love that. Um, I'm just going to focus on two points. One is representation. The other is access. So as I mentioned before, Google has started this initiative on inclusive marketing. It came out of George Floyd, but it is also kind of reflective of the desire to have marketers thinking with the mindset and sort of being representative of the customers we serve. And so there is a toolkit that Google has created actually in partnership with many of the um, industry associations called All In. And it enables you to start thinking about um, how do we make sure that we really drive representation across the creative process, agency selection, who serves your account um, from an agency perspective, um, the creative talent, and so forth. And so All In is a great tool. It's something that I've tried to even encourage other marketers outside of our space to really take advantage of because it is open, platform, and accessible. So I encourage you to take a look at it, and it's looking at not just gender, but intersectionality. It's thinking about accessibility. How do we bring that into what we do? So that's one part. I think the other aspect is access. I said before, I'm a kid from Queens, and I had the benefit of going to a boarding school in Connecticut, which really changed my trajectory. And so for me, Google has a lot of different programs that encourage and invite access into the world of tech. Um, Code Next is a, an amazing program that is targeting um, underrepresented groups, primarily black and Hispanic kids. There's a program here in Chelsea, there's another one in Oakland, bringing them into the tech world. 
And then also from the standpoint of just thinking about recruiting, are we going to different places to look at different talent? It is so important that you sometimes break your mold of, oh, I know this person or so-and-so knows them, but actually going to new and different places to consider talent. Um, I'm one of those. I always tell people, like, even when Google first reached out, I said, I just want to be really clear because I don't like my time wasted or to waste anyone else's time. I don't have a tech background. And they were like, no, but you have a branding background and we want to speak with you. So the willingness to widen the aperture, to be much more open from sort of a talent consideration perspective, that is so critical because the skills are still there to do the work. But you know, if you sort of go with what you know, I wouldn't have even been considered. So access is really, really key and representation so incredibly important because people need to see themselves in whatever we're putting out into the world. And Penny, please. you got two choices. I've got two choices. I'll go with this one. Uh, I wanted to pick up on being a leader because I work in a company where equity is really, you know, very much focused upon and I, I never, I didn't realize all the issues with equity because I worked in a company inside where I saw so much opportunity. But I also feel a responsibility as a leader and my daughter is 25 years old and I feel like it's my responsibility to make sure that when we pass the torch to that generation that we are leaving them stronger than the place that we came from. So as a leader, I hold myself accountable for a couple of things. I'm co-chair of the Council for Women's Advocacy in the Canadian Chamber of Commerce and we work on making sure that entrepreneurs are supported, that the business community is listening, that we're helping change policy for government. So I'm proud that I was part of the, I participated on the parliamentary committee that made the recommendations of $10 a day daycare for Canadian families. Um, and so we continue to do that work. Um, and then also uh, from the learnings of STEM talk, it is about being a champion. So I have goals to not only be a mentor to women inside 3M, but also externally and champion them and help lift them up and make connections so that they can find their way in the world and be very successful. And that's what I hold myself accountable for to make a difference. Lauren, please. Great. Um, so I feel really proud that I work for a company uh, that has such a focus on what you were talking about, access and representation. There's a tremendous amount of programs um, under the umbrella brand of uh, what we're calling Accelerate 2025 that talks about how we get people to KPMG, how we have them succeed at KPMG, and then how we have them lead at KPMG. So there's um, many, many programs that I uh, could point to, and, and I don't want to um, you know, undermine their importance, but I do want to focus on something that KPMG is doing that I think enables diversity, equity, and inclusion at every point, in every day, in every conversation, which is, teaching people around how to um, be psychologically safe and how to create a psychological, how to create psychological safety in the workplace, which I think is a really underappreciated um, aspect of equity on a day-to-day -day basis. And I try and do this within, you know, my team. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes it means being vulnerable and not saying, you know, that knowing, being honest that you don't have all of the answers and that you, you know, as a leader, you need the team to collaborate and put their heads together and you need everybody to speak up and, you know, reaching into the organization, maybe 
some people are more introverted, especially over teams. It's harder to you know get people to speak up and you have to reach out and ask people for their opinions and create a psychologically safe environment for them to feel like they're supported and like they can put their opinions out there. So KPMG has had a program of training all employees around psychological safety and I think it has really made a difference in, uh, in equity on a day-to-day -day basis. And finally, Zina. Sure. One thing I didn't mention earlier, uh, I'm on the board of a public company, mm -hmm. and it's been one of the most fantastic professional experiences that I've had. I feel really fortunate because it's not normal for someone with my level of seniority and even my background being primarily in marketing to be on, on the board. Typically, they look for people who have you know, finance or compliance-type backgrounds. Uh, but getting that um, kind of access and, and being, um, you know, a representative of um, someone very different, both from gender, um, race, uh, age standpoint than, than what makes up a typical board uh, has been amazing for me and, and also, I believe, for what I've been able to bring to the company and, and how they think about uh, they're running their business. So for me, a commitment that I'm making is to help open that door for more women and more underrepresented um, women because uh, oftentimes, again, and it's, it's, uh, these boards are made up by um, the CEO's friends who often tend to look like the CEO, which is usually a white male, and, and just opening up the door and being um, that, that person who's there and also opening it wider after I've come through it to, to let others in, uh, I think is, is super important and uh, something that I'm working on helping uh, bringing other people to that table. Zina, thank you. And in thanking our panel, here are my reflections. And before I get into my summation, I want to acknowledge on the panel and in this wonderful audience, the many male allies that we count on and respect daily and support us in our endeavors as well. So thank you to all of you. Um, this conversation spanned many topics from the nostalgia of hometowns to access for women in our careers and to the potential of simplicity to unlock authenticity and humanity. In listening to all the eight examples, I'm struck by the pragmatism of our speakers developing, leading, and nurturing programs that at once advance business and inclusion goals. Thank you for sharing the eight examples. They, they strike me as extraordinary examples of the profound impact of inclusive storytelling. I'm reminded, funnily enough, of the words of the American anthropologist, Mary Catherine Bateson, when she observed, the human species thinks in metaphors and learns in stories. In our marketing, when we frame our marketing, benefits, values, features, in the frame of a story, it becomes instantly relatable, engaging, and actionable. Thank you to our speakers for sharing your stories and touching on the stories of the brands that you today help lead.
in thanking all of you. I invite you once again to listen to all of our CMO podcast conversations on How CMOs Commit podcast. These stories and the others that I've had the privilege to experience throughout this inclusive storytelling series give context to the why and the how embracing gender equity generates alignment across all stakeholders. Mm -hmm.